Boom, everybody. Hey, welcome to the next podcast. The Great Health is not a video mission impossible. It's a spooky night tonight. I'm sure there's a lot of kids going out there and getting a whole bunch of candy and doing what they need to do. Um, hope everybody stays safe out there. Now, parents, make sure that candy's taken a look at. But even better, here's an idea. See if you can buy that candy from those kids. The most busiest week that we have on the entire year is the week after Halloween. Why? It's because people, especially kids, get absolutely loaded with candy. Now, if the kids don't eat it, we know you parents steal the candy at night and eat it. No ifs, ands, or buts, because you come in sick too. So what can you do in this uh, time of year? Well, if, if you feel like you need to hand out candy because you don't want to get, I don't know, egged, then hand it out. Whatever you're going to do. Let somebody else make their own parental decisions. Uh, I mean, personally, we gave out stickers and, um, you know, floss. <laughs> Toothbrush should be a good thing, uh, you know, pretend you're a dentist, I guess. Um, little trinkets of trash, little spider rings and whatnot. Um, I, I just wouldn't participate in the years my kids went through all this um, in, in trick-or-treat. We, I would take them trick-or-treating, and then I would try to buy their candy from them. We needed to be in a negotiation. Sometimes I got away with it really, really cheap, and other times they're like, wait a minute, I'm on to you, Dad. How about $5,000? How about not? <laughs> But I'll give you a story. My oldest son, um, one year he decided that money wasn't worth anything. I said, all right, here's the deal. Uh, you can eat as much candy as you want tonight, but then after that you're going to throw it away. But you can, you can have as much as you want. I don't care. Uh, or I can buy it from you and I'll give you $20 or something like that. And he's like, I don't need the money. <laughs> like, okay, sure. So anyway, at, at, even at the young age, uh, in, in my care and the time that we were together, we... We had a very anti-inflammatory um, diet for them growing up because they understood what the situation was, and we did the best we could. Even when we traveled, try to look ahead, or you know, and, and not that Whole Foods or um, some of those we'll call them health food stores, uh, they can still have junk food there. Uh, you know, a cookie is a cookie, and there's a lot of sugar that, that's in those places. Or gluten free that's just full of sugar. You can still have a pizza, and okay, maybe it's weighed with um, you know some sort of um, almond flour but then they put a whole bunch of other stuff on it to mix it in to make it sticky and, and whatnot or put honey in it anyway um we tried to do what we could as, as kids and then doing not me as kids but them as kids and going through whatever we could to keep them as an anti-inflammatory diet so when they did get exposed to things sometimes when they were at their grandparents house they got junk food sometimes my my grandmother would give them uh, pop at a young age and they'd just feel awful which is great because i love to reinforce that and then um this particular halloween i want to say my son was Six or seven. And at six or seven years old. So anyway, he goes and decides he's going to eat as much as possible. And lo and behold, that night, the next day, he's, and then even the next day, the third day, he's, he's not feeling good. He's on, he's in the bathroom. He's, he's, he's really having, my tummy hurts and headache and everything that's going with it. And so, you know, I'm trying to be the wise parent to teach a child what's going on. I said, hey, buddy, was it worth it? You've, you've been really sick for three days. Was it worth it? And while his face is still kind of greenish, he looked at me, looks me dead in the eye and goes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, people make their own decisions. Now, he's a little bit better about it now. So uh, he's, he's, you know, uh, going into nursing. So... Um, he understands that there's there's some other things that are going on. But, you know, at that age, you know, people get, sometimes, 
sometimes uh, when they want to come into the office, that's the mentality that they have is a seven or eight year old and they're not going to change anything, but they've hurt themselves. Um, you know, they've broken a wrist and it's not healing. They've rolled an ankle, their back hurts, they have headaches. And I'm, I'm shouting out to the men on this one for the most part. And that's it. That's it. That's the only one. And it doesn't really matter how you do it. Um, so sometimes people have to come into the office and, and we have staff for that because that's not, and people need help. I'm not going to question. You need, you need help when you're in pain, get out of pain. But that's not really functional medicine. But we have staff in our office that take care of that. And sometimes it's stress related. You have stress that's so much in your life that it affects your digestion. It affects your sleep. It affects your immune system. Um, you can't function. Sometimes it's just you can't get blood supply to go places. Well, that's when we use acupuncture. So uh, sometimes it's a combination. I mean, somebody could, let's say, be hurt and um, they're an athlete or um, they like to work out or, or do things outside. You know, there's, um, and so they need a combination of both. They need structure and acupuncture. Somebody who, um, you know, has a, an inflammatory disease that they need some of the joint help. I mean, you can have stress in your life and also hurt your shoulder. <laughs> there's there's that or, you know, a terrible boss and they're pushing on you or you have deadlines that are due and sometimes you need things to help calm that part of your brain down so that you can function and that's where acupuncture comes in. But at the same time, there's what's called mechanoreceptor stimulation and sometimes you need, um, whether it's chiropractic or um, soft tissue work, uh, joint help, and the neurology on both of these is a very similar pathway of where they go up to the brain. So whether it's an acupuncture point that gets stimulated, and by the way, acupuncture is a word that's a misnomer. It means to puncture the skin. Not always. You can put lasers on it. Lasers don't hurt. You can put magnets on it. Um, you can put heat on it. You can put cold on it. It all depends how you want to stimulate that acupuncture point because there are receptors in your skin that feel pressure, that feel heat, that feel vibration. And those go up to a point in your brain that's called the parietal lobe. And then there are things that help with movement, and that goes up to the part of the brain that is in the, it's called the motor cortex of the, um, the, the front of your brain. And then there's things that calm down, and it goes to the back of the brain. And underneath the back of your brain, called the cerebellum, it's what's called your brainstem. And the brainstem has two parts in the nervous system. It's all run automatically because you don't think, hey, I need to have my stomach make stomach acid. Oh, I forgot to take a deep breath. Oh, heart beat. Uh, you don't do that. Oh, oh, shoot. I'm short on hormones today. Let's make some hormones. No, it's all automatically run. So there's two parts in the, what's called the autonomic nervous system, something that runs all by itself. And one of them is called um, the sympathetic, which is your fight or flight. Most of us have heard of that. And when you're in a fight or flight mode, nothing else matters. You put blood to your muscles, you put blood to your heart, you put blood to your lungs, and hopefully a little bit blood to your brain so you can think, but usually not because you're going to the other muscles to get away. It's like, almost like a reflex. If you touch a hot stove, that's a quick what's called SNS or sympathetic nervous system response. Now, when you touch the stove, it goes to your spinal cord. Your spinal cord goes, oh my gosh, that's a noxious reflux re, uh, reset, um, feeling. Something is burning. And it sends, uh, by way of the dorsal ganglion, to the muscle. The muscle fiber then twitches and it contracts, which then would pull your arm away from it. And then it goes up. So let's say you touch it with your right arm. It goes up your spinal cord, crosses over right before it goes into the brain. And then on the left side of your brain says, ow, or your, your parietal lobe says, I feel that. And then it sends a signal, ooh, that's a bad thing. And it sends a signal um, to the motor cortex so that you can make out the word, ow. 
and then be able to breathe it out. There's there's different parts that it goes to. So you can say, uh, that hurt. Uh, you made a thought. The thought has become a word. The word has been spoken. That's really how neurology does. So the pain that was perceived on your finger, the noxious substance called the heat, you never felt in your hand. You felt it in your brain. Now, if somebody has diabetes, somebody has muscular cirrhosis, if somebody has um, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, if somebody has neurological conditions, if somebody has really, really, really low cholesterol, so getting rid of the cholesterol isn't the key. If somebody has a lot of inflammation uh, pathways that are in the, the spinal cord, they may not have as fast as a reflex. They might leave their hand there too long. Um, and then how the body goes to recover that, because once you have that, now the brain has to go, we had a problem in this 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 um called this quadrant the quadrant called my hand and now we have a burn there and so i need to send some immune cells to make sure that we don't get an infection because there's skin that's lost then i have to send some nutrients down to make sure that that is really functioning right and then maybe if it is infection i got to make sure these lymph nodes are, are are come up on it and so there are all the other things that is not part of the fight or flight that is part of the what's called the parasympathetic nervous system which is known as the pns now, the shortcut to PNS that I just kind of tell people in the office is that runs pee, poop, sex, digestion, immunity, blood sugar, and blood supply. Well, that's what most people walk in the office for. My blood sugar is too high, too low. Hyperglycemic or hyperglycemic. Diabetes or um, not high diabetes. But low blood sugar equals to low blood perfusion, which means you're cold hands and feet all the time. Uh, you can get into Renaud's and some other things that go there, and you definitely have brain fog and, and memory issues when you have cold hands and feet. Um, and then if you have high blood sugar, that's when you get into diabetes, well, it can go, the percentage of, of blood sugar that sits on your red blood cells is called an A1C, and the higher the A1C, anything above 5.4 is not perfect. Anything above 5.7 to 6.5 is pre-diabetic. Anything above 6.5 is diabetic. And once you get above 6.5, it scratches the arteries, it creates inflammation in the body, it can also affect the nerve tissue because it scratches the artery to get to the nerve and the nerve starts to die and that's when you get what's called a diabetic neuropathy and it also go to the kidneys and cause a um, nephrology issue which is kidney and function it can also go to the eyes and create um, blood vessels small blood vessel issues where you get um, blood vessel disease of the eyes due to um, blood sugar now the other side to that is because you're in a fight or flight, your blood sugar is not being regulated. Because you're in a fight or flight, that your um, blood pressure isn't being regulated. And when the blood pressure goes up, we have almost the same things that happen with high blood pressure or with high blood sugar. And what? How many people walk around with both? And so it's a double whammy that comes onto them. And and the, the blame is, well, it's got to be red meat. No, it's not. It's not red meat. If that was the case, or it's got to be too much fat that's in your diet. No, it's not. Um, because there would be no Eskos or Inuit. There would be no tribes in, in Africa that that's all they eat. They don't eat any green vegetables. And so that's not the case. It's the other things under certain situations. So under the right amount of stress, you can convert protein to, to sugar. Um, and then anything that is a sugar, carbohydrate, potato, um, e even like something that's, that's good like squash or let's say... Um, cauliflower potatoes here we have thanksgiving coming up very soon and so how many carbs are eaten during thanksgiving well how many people go well when i have thanksgiving dinner i get really tired and i sit down is it really the turkey that you ate and, and really how much turkey would you have to eat i don't know a couple pounds to get the additional trip to fend to really get the job done um you'd have to get you'd have to be like a turkey connoisseur i mean turkey this turkey that turkey this 
um, which would be like the whole Christmas story if you ever saw that movie. And by the way, there's a new one coming out, so I'm looking forward to that. It's in my top five of, of shows that I, I actually enjoy, whether my family hates it or not. I don't care. I'm going to watch it. So um, you had to get a lot of turkey, but the reality that people get tired, and they whether they, they pass out during a football game, fall asleep, or just from absolute boredom of being around their family, uh, the real the real reality why people get so sleepy in the afternoon where the rest of the the year they they don't is insulin resistant. Now if somebody gets tired every time they eat, that's insulin resistant. So for some people, if they have a lot of pain, their body gets into a sympathetic nervous system, and then other things in their body break down, such as their digestion, such as their immune system, and that's how they can get to autoimmunity. Some people have too much stress that come in. And that what breaks down the parasympathetic nervous system, and now they have blood pressure, blood sugar issues, they can't digest, they have brain fog, and they get in there. So um, in our offices, sometimes you need a combination of everything that goes in there. Uh, the bigger picture is to getting you to function. So sometimes somebody just has pain and they want to get out of pain and that's it. They don't care about their health, really. That's pain management. But that's that's a lot of Americans. Uh, and that's really all their insurance will pay for, and that's all they're interested in. So there is not any health care. No. You're, you're not into functional medicine. That's fine. And you're not listening to this. But understand that there are people like that. And if, if you are in a functional medicine, understand that probably the majority of your family is not. And so that's all they care about. And so the, the education that comes along with it is you are only in it for, for pain management. There is no health in that. Um, other than, you know, if somebody's in like this chronic severe case and you can get them out of it because it really does, I mean, think about any guy that gets sick, they become a big baby. I'm one of them. And, uh, it's no fun to be around. So <laughs> you got to be able to get them out of that, um, path. And some people just from their environment, whether they have relationships or job or whatever life. They really need to de-stress. So that's where acupuncture is so fantastic. Um, what's coming in? I mean, really, if we had the time in the world, I, I would literally be sitting at family court and everybody's to have acupuncture before <laughs> before you go in. Uh, and, and maybe the attorneys need it too. And then get this stuff settled and look at the best interest of everything involved. And then maybe even litigation for businesses or you did me wrong or whatnot. Just everybody be calm, have a cool head, understand that from the legal system nobody should win ever uh, there should be back and forth compromises and then there should be an, an agreement that comes to it and it makes sense um, but that would be ideal um, what a what a cool world that would be but anyway each one of these cases whether they come from whether it's chronic pain chronic fatigue chronic stress any anything that's like that you have the ability to affect the rest of the body so we had a young man uh, in this week, and he's about 23 years old. He's in college, uh, graduate school. And he's he's been under doctor's care of all type for the last 15 years, and he's got this really, really bad. He's got chronic headaches, chronic shoulder and, and uh, hips, and the mid part of his back is driving him nuts. And so I was like, okay, I, I want everybody to hear this part. If you go to... For the most part, any qualified doctor, and in a few visits, you aren't better, it isn't working. It doesn't mean that their technique doesn't work. It doesn't mean they suck as a doctor. It means it isn't working. So either they need to change their technique on you, because most people know more than one thing. Or if it's a medical doctor, they should change a med. Or 
we got to start looking a little deeper in that. This isn't going to be a, a, a it's not going to be a quick fix. So if you're seeing a massage therapist or a chiropractor or acupuncturist, and in a few visits, you're not doing better, it's a lot more deeper than that. And so that's when you should consider, if you're one of those people, this is where functional medicine comes in. And with functional medicine, you got to look at how the nervous system works. So you have to evaluate functional neurology. And if you're a functional neurologist, you have to make sure that there's fuel. We talked about getting oxygen to the cell and make sure the nervous system knows what to do if you touch that hot plate and you have to get blood supply there and you have to get the immune system there and you have to get nutrients there. Well, that that's that's the functional medicine side, but the nerves don't work. It, ain't gonna get, it isn't going to get there at all. What if somebody has a digestive issue and they're taking all these supplements and nothing's working? Well, if you don't digest anything, it's just going right through you. You're wasting time, so that has to be dealt with first. Well, how did you get to that point? Was there a knock to the head? Because traumatic brain injuries can do that. Concussions can do that. Was there a massive stress that's created an ulcer? You know, what what's going on here? Did you have, uh, you know, let's say you're a guy and you played football in high school and somebody hit you really hard from behind and you cracked a rib. Well, that rib might have the same what's called neurological pathway that goes to your stomach. And so you stop making stomach acid efficiently in high school. And here you are at 40 and you can't digest anything. That can happen. That's what's called a visceral um, somatic reflex because the visceral was innervated by the um, body, which means the, the nerve that comes out of the spinal cord goes to the organ. And so in cases like that, this is where we use something called um, whole body thermography because we get to check the visceral somatic reflex and we get to check it dynamically, meaning that we check you, then we cool the room down, then we check you again, and it should have cooled the skin down. And if it didn't cool the skin down at the juncture for what's called a visceral somatic reflex, then you got inflammation there. Okay, then what's next? What's next is we got to know what the blood tests look like to see what that looks like. What's next after that? The blood tests are fine. Maybe we need to have a picture. This is where CT and MRI come in. What's next? Okay, there's an evaluation of what goes through treatment, and then we come back and see what sucked. Can we retest the test? So let's say you had an ultrasound in your thyroid. All right, it wasn't good. And then we follow up with that ultrasound after a treatment. So it's the come back and evaluate to make sure that you're happening. Now, I think any doctor, uh, hopefully is on the same page with me, is our first deal when anybody walks in the door is, do you belong here? Yes or no? Because some cases are not conservative or some cases are not, let's say just a cardiology case, they got to send a neurology or even worse to an emergency room. Because if you walk into a cardiologist's office, they don't have the ability to open heart surgery or do a, a TPA or anything like that. They have to send you to the emergency room. So uh, that should be the first thing. Do you belong here? Is this a case that we can handle uh, in, in our world? Is this a conservative case? Is it, do you have a, a joint? Do I, should we focus on getting you out of pain? Should we focus on getting you out of stress? Is that the, t the two things that come together? Uh, yes or no. Um, and for, for this particular gentleman that he'd been to people for like almost 15 years of his life. And he got relief for two weeks. Then you go back, get relief for two weeks, change doctors. Same thing, different technique, doctor, we feel better for two weeks. And so always he sat and we kind of went through his case. I said, you know, I don't, you, you, who referred you in here? And then the doctors before them, the doctors before them, they're actually really good doctors, like well-published, get rewards all the time. So it wasn't like you had a lack of quality of care. And I said, and, and kudos for you for saying, you know, I, I, I appreciate what these guys did, but, um, you know, I, I'd give them, 
he might spend a year with them and then he goes to another doctor. Well, that's that's a pretty fair uh, assessment on his part. And then I go somewhere else and I try something different. And, and because the result was always the same. I felt really good for two weeks and then I fall apart. Well, to me, that's a red flag. They're going through all this process. And there was something that was missing. So we moved him into the other thing. Okay, here's a... Um, Here's a more comprehensive exam. We're checking temperature. We're checking reflexes. Can you feel this? Can you feel that? Can you hear this? Can you hear that? Can you smell this? Can you total cranial nerve? He didn't do well. Starts to lead into. I think this guy's hit to his noggin that he had 15 years ago is more significant than meets the eye. Then, um, okay, your history, and we talk about things, and he's got the symptom survey, and it's okay. It's blood sugar, blood sugar, blood sugar, and then as we do a examination he can't balance his balance is completely shot all right well balance is run by the part of the brain that's called the cerebellum there's three major things that affect balance so now we're looking at oxygen if there's not an oxygen there maybe there's anemia if he doesn't get blood sugar there maybe there's a hypo hyperglycemia he didn't get tired after he ate he woke up feeling hungry i mean these are all things there was like i don't know if it's blood sugar but we'll we'll make sure because it could be if or not. So anyway, blood tests come back. Blood sugar is totally normal. There is no anemia. Fantastic. There are two other things that affect the cerebellum. Alcohol. Um, in his faith, they drink no alcohol. I know what his age is. We have a chat about it. Don't smell it on his, his breath or anything when he's doing these tests. Alcohol is pretty much ruled out. Liver enzymes fine. And then we have him do these balance tests that he, he failed on again. Um... I start asking about, well, what is your number one food? And as we went into it, this kid is gluten like every single meal. Okay, that might be fine for somebody, but he has a neurological problem. It's he can't do his, he can't balance, and he's got all these other things: brain fog, he gets headaches, he gets dizzy, um, all these other things that are going on. This isn't a, a structural case, and maybe there's some acupuncture involved, but this is beyond that. So we didn't run a whole lot of blood tests on him because at that, I think we kind of had it pinpointed. And sure enough, so by the way, when you have a gluten test that comes back, it should be zero. Uh, while the reference range says two or below, it should be zero. Um, so you're, you're positive at anything above two. When a lot of people come in five, six, 10, 12, whatever, his was 80. So that's 40 times higher than the reference range. Um, well, let's see what gluten does. And, and the people start having like brain fog at like five, three, five, five. They have brain fog. He's at eighty on his IG to gluten. Okay, that's really, really significant. So, how the muscles that are related to different parts of the brain work? So these muscles that the cerebellum deals with is when you first brought home as a baby. They're the the central, what's called paraspinal muscle. So. You know, a baby can't sit up or hold their head up, and they kind of wiggle back and forth, um, almost kind of like in stage of life when people have central tumors or Parkinson's or something like that. Uh, not to be mean, I mean, we come in as a, you know, we can't take care of ourselves, and that's how we leave life. It, it's a whole circle as we go through, just we're, we're bigger, and the diapers are unfortunately bigger too. So nobody's ever looking forward to that. But anyway, that's what they, the way the, the nervous system will respond. It's right down the spinal cord. So if... Um, there's actually somebody who hunts and listens to me. That's called the backstraps. Now, somebody likes to go out and have meat. That's like your, um, not your tenderloins, but um, or, yeah, it'll be, yeah, that won't be your tenderloin. It'll be um, along the back, 
uh, muscles that are very uh, that most people like to eat. Anyway, it's a little bit morbid. So moving on to the next part. As the cerebellum develops, you have motor responses that start in the trunk, what's called the, the trunk area. So the shoulders and the hips start to develop next, and then you'll get it uh, into your hands and your feet. And they, they start to become very good. So toddler can walk. Uh, a toddler can walk. But they kind of used to have this wide gait stance like they kind of got off a horse. So if anybody's old enough to remember Yosemite Sam, that's kind of a toddler walk. So when you go into certain areas or let's say you go to Walmart or Target, you might see somebody walking and they look like they got off a horse and you know they didn't. Um, they, they might have a cerebellar lesion, something that's not there. They might have a hit to the head right there and it didn't fill up as they were kids. And so they, they were left with this this uh, interesting gait. Well, he doesn't necessarily have the Yosemite Sam gait, but his pain is in his shoulders and his hips and right along the spine of his back. Now, the rest of it's fine, and his hands do well. They just don't move well when we're asking him to do stuff. Or, Can I have you touch your nose? Uh, he misses his tip of his nose. He'll go to the bridge of his nose. He'll go to the side of his face. So he's got this whole cerebellar thing on here. Well, we, we kind of ruled out three out of the four issues that can go there. I mean, there's another thing. I mean, like there's there's a condition that's called cherry malformation where the, the brain actually kind of sinks out of the side of the head because they have a bigger what's called foramen ovale or foramen magnum that's in the base of their skull that where everything kind of goes up and into the to the skull and that's what your brain is connected to to the spinal cord and so some people have a bigger foramen magnum in the brain it wouldn't say it leaks out but it kind of slips out the bottom and puts pressure on the cerebellum and they get cerebellum disease based issues and there's another condition that's called a frederick's ataxia where they have a, a slap walk that goes along with it because that part of the brain is under attack now, sometimes it's inflammation does that. Sometimes an autoimmune thing that goes that. There's there's reasons, but usually you're, they're born with it. They don't they don't get it like later in life. Um, so they've had it, and sometimes it, it develops to the point they can't even walk at all, which is um, unfortunate. But we still have to look through uh, those particular cases and see what to do for him. So anyway, I bring this up because not he didn't have some of those other things, but there was quite a few things that went that there. So you know, as we brought it to his attention, I don't I don't know if he necessarily needs structure at this point he's been to structure doctors for 15 years um in his line of work and how he's going to school he's a very chill guy blood pressure is great everything's fine i don't think he necessarily needs acupuncture but we had a long discussion about what comes up um when you go home to your family well, how do you how do you explain this to them as thanksgiving comes up as christmas comes up as the holidays come up as birthday comes up how do you explain it to them? This one little thing can be a problem. And then as we started going through it, he goes, "Oh, well, I got a family member that has that. No, oh, I got a family member that has to do that." And I'm like, "Wait a minute, what?" So, if somebody in your family has it, there's a higher probability of you having it. And this is the part that took me so long to try to figure out. But that's not genetic. Well, yeah, it is, right? If somebody has it and we're related to them, that's genes related. No, what really is the trigger is the environmental atmosphere. So. If you learn to eat junk food and, and sugar, just like all these kids are doing on Halloween, and they do it on a regular basis, and then as an adult, you can do whatever you want, what are you going to end up with? Diabetes. Is there the genes for a diabetes? Yeah, there are some genes for diabetes, but I promise you, if you eat sugar every day, like, the, like these kids are going to eat tonight, you will have diabetes. 
I mean, there might be one out of a billion that get lucky and don't have it, but it's going to happen that way. So it's it's an environmental issue. And there's the reason I can be adamant and say this is that's what the research is thick on. They'll take twin studies, triplet studies, split the kids up, feed them different things, and one kid went up with autoimmunity, the other the other two don't. So it's it's not necessarily genetic, but it's familiar, meaning that if your family has it, the environment and how you, you grew up and how you learn and how you, it's traditional to do is probably ingrained in you. And, and those are what's called comfort foods or what's called soul foods. And those comfort foods and soul foods, over time, will, 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 they, they harbor disease. They, they promote disease, especially if you're using um, seed oils, especially if you're using foods that are inflammatory. They will start to break the body down, and then they have you have an effect. And sometimes they break the body down, and it ends up being pain. And sometimes it breaks the body down, and it ends up being brain fog or stress. You can't handle the stress we used to, or you might can't come up with the words, and you have brain fog. And then it manifests into other things, which are called clinical diseases and autoimmunity. So, in our office, are you supposed to be there? Is there something we can do to help? If you're on the cheap and on the budget, and, and granted, I think this is going to be a bigger issue that comes in the door. In the next two years, I mean, if everybody looks at what's happening, inflation is not 9%. And, and most of the things I go and buy, it's 200%. And so what can they afford and what can they do? Are we just trying to manage their case until there's better finances that we can do a more thorough exam? Or do we have that heart-to-heart with them? Well, you've done all this stuff, like this case. And, and college students don't have a lot of money to come see me. I promise you that. So... I knew we were on a shoestring budget, and that's okay, because I did shoestring. We did a very good history and examination and said, okay, this is what's going on because you've been to so many doctors. I mean, he's already spent a lot of money. So there wasn't any reason to do any trial and error on things that were already trial and error. It's, it's over. And so once we got to the, the cause of his issue and then all of this other information about history, a family history that wasn't talked about, even though we asked, he totally forgot about it, and, and people do. Um, that it's there, we're like, okay, now we can put this together and this is our plan. And this is how you have to talk to your family and this is how you're going to eat and this is how you're going to shop and these are ways to do it and this is a way to do it the easiest and this is on what you can do on a shoestring budget as a, we'll call it a, a poor college student and who wasn't? If you were a rich college student, I want to know how you did it and if you did it on your own because if your parents were involved, it didn't count. But um, poor college students, we have, we have budgets. Um, but here's how you can do it. And here's what I'm doing, and we're going to retest and make sure that this is coming down and making sure that, that and this is hands down the fastest, most effective way to do it, which is what he wanted. And it just happens to be the most cost effective. So anyway, when it comes down to it, that's what we want to do for our patients. Figure out where they need to come in the door. And sometimes they need to come in in a different way, and sometimes they need to get a little more um, comprehensive. And sometimes it takes a minute for them to realize that. But we try to keep things as transparent as possible. And, hey, we're going to do this. Uh, you told us about a lot more things, but we're going to do this. And, hey, people do recover this way, but they feel better. So I want you to understand that's pain management. Over here, that's stress management. And over here, it's just to get you to function. And you get to choose your own adventure. We are, uh, when it comes to your health, I am not responsible for you. I'm your facilitator, your educator, your mentor, your coach. But you need to make that choice. I don't go live with you. I'm not going to cook with you. I'm not going to, you know brush your teeth for you, floss you, the things that you should be doing. And so it's, it's totally up to you to do it. So uh, whether you work with us or you go somewhere else, these are things I want you to understand that you can articulate and talk to any doctor about. And if they're not on board, then, you know, guess what? There are other doctors out there. I know you have a lot of podcasts you can listen to. I appreciate you listening to ours. If you'd like to learn more about our office, go to choosenewleaf.com. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. Be well. This podcast Great health does not have to be a mission impossible.
provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, Nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.